morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 7. A lot of things going on in this chapter. It's a big transition, but big thing, I think, is Samuel's hour arrives. He becomes the judge of Israel uh, after Eli uh, tragically died uh, just a little bit before in the story. And there's a lot of things going on here. You, you got the at the beginning this part about the ark, uh, kind of wrapping up the conversation we were having last week about you know what that means and you know why did things go so badly at Beth Shemesh, uh, and what the kinds of idolatry were here. The idolatry that we've been talking about, the polytheism, um, the way that the Philistines described them as worshiping multiple gods. Well, that really comes to the fore here. Who are the Ashtaroth? Uh, what foreign gods? are we talking about? Uh, so some, some good questions there as well. Uh, but yeah, big thing is Samuel comes and he does things differently. Uh, so we, we have a little bit of a, a high point before, uh, well, before chapter eight, just around the corner. Joining us, we have one of our regular guests. We've got Pastor John Lakumsky, pastor from Southern Illinois, also one of the co-hosts of Wrestling with the Basics, Saturdays, 9 o'clock Central on KFUO. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back. How are you doing? I am doing good, AJ. I, I have to ask you a question because uh, I was just talking with some of the staff that are located locally there in St. Louis. Of course, we know there's people all over the country, all over the world that might be listening to us at this point. What What is the temperature there out in, and uh, you're in California, right? Yes, right, Southern California. By the way, can you see, or is the smoke filling the sky? I know, right? I know. Uh, you know, fortunately, in, in outside, so we're going to go outside and uh, pretty much have a front row seat to this fire. So, so uh, yeah, yeah kind of pretty crazy stuff out here. But uh, I think by God's grace, it's it's uh, kind of petering out the the brutal temperatures and hopefully the fire getting under control soon. Well, the reason I'm asking is, is uh, of course, I'm coming from Northfield, Minnesota. Uh, a month from now, we'll be back there in the St. Louis area. But we've got a high of 52 today. <laughs> so quite a contrast between many wow. other parts of the country. Yeah, yeah. So we're yeah, no, I, I, I heard that there were a and... few places like that, that. That went from like a high of like 100-something to like a high of 30-something. Like, oh, man, that's got to just kind of hit you like a ton of bricks, that kind of that kind of transition. But uh, yeah, we— yeah, no, it it's not quite um, that dramatic. Yeah. We we were we were eighty something, and then we dropped thirty degrees. But yeah, at, yeah. Uh, they they yeah, tell no, me nothing, it's going to warm that... up here. I hope they know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who 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 does know. <laughs> nothing nothing that dramatic quite out here. But um, yeah, yeah, relieved that it's not as intense as it was earlier this week. Uh, this is a, a a chapter here in First Samuel chapter seven that I mean, like I, I'm so I'm so excited about First Samuel chapter eight. You know, chapter eight is such a big chapter just in the Old Testament in general, uh, with you know, like you know, the the coming of a king, the appointing of a king, and there's so many like cool parallels. So it, it's kind of a, a test of patience to go through a setup chapter <laughs> like this. But there's a lot of good things in this setup chapter, and you, and you, and you got to ask yourself about you know, like so. Hang on a second, who is this? Eliezer, right? And uh, hang on, like the ark just hangs out in Kiriath-Jerim for, for 20 years, and, uh, you know, Samuel coming to, to be judge and everything that entails and, like, what his, like, uh, directives are. It's, it's a lot of things going on in this chapter. So, so, so my take on it 
is that what you have in this chapter is you have actually the perfect uh, uh, political system for the nation of Israel, uh, which is the system of a, 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 a God-chosen judge. And then in the next chapter, things are going to go horribly wrong again as the Israelites are never satisfied with what God gives them. And so they've got a better system. It's what everybody else is doing. We need a king. And yet, of course, as you continue in this story, AJ, you're going to see the grace of God. So, so God actually takes a thing that is bad because you really don't need a king. You've got a king. His name is Yahweh. His name is the Lord. And yet God will work that for their good. In fact, God will actually make that a key part of his final plan to bring salvation to all the world. But, but I really think in this chapter we have a picture of what the ideal uh, 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 earthly leader should be like. Um, and, and I think the key thing is that he is a judge, yeah. and, and why that's important is because how did he get to be a judge? God put him in that position. Uh, I think the fundamental to having good leadership is they understand Romans 13, that there is no authority except that which comes from God. Right. Um, and unfortunately, when you get into monarchy, that right, gets course, confused. Yeah, yeah, because now, I, why am I king? Well, because I'm part well, of this royal dynasty. Yeah. Uh, or, or in our system, why right, am I president? Right. Well, because you I know, got elected. True. See? Yeah, yeah. Whereas Samuel couldn't make yeah. any of those claims. Well, yeah, thanks. <laughs> that, that brings up... Yeah, well, well, true. Well, and that brings up really a lot of good points, right? Um, you know, like, so yeah, so, so like you said, you know, this is in some ways uh, an ideal political system, right? Um is it ideal just in terms of, you know, them, or is it a model that could be used today? Um, it, it, was it really so ideal, right? We're going to, of course, in chapter eight, right away, find out like, well, there's kind of problems in paradise, right? Even with this model, um, you, you've got questions about, you know, like, so like you were saying, like if, if the monarchy, right, if the Messiah was kind of God's plan all along, then Anyways, there's there's a lot there's lots of really neat features and intersections and questions here, and I think you just kind of touched on a whole bunch of them. Um, we'll have to pick and choose and see what we yeah, actually yeah, end up having time for of... in this. But uh, although I would yeah. certainly like to focus that, on that because I think some... you're right. I think there are things in this chapter that indicate this is the kind of things we should be looking for in, in leadership as well. And and with a uh, an election coming up, maybe this yeah. is a very pertinent chapter uh, oh, yeah. for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, right? In this past Sunday, we, you know, we had Romans 13 as the epistle, right? So, yeah, it's, that's, that's very That's why it's timely. on my mind. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll have to take a look at that. Yeah, yeah, no, I just, I, I chuckled when I saw it. I'm just like, wow, this is, yeah, it's timely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, let's not go too far afield here. We're looking at First Samuel chapter 7 as we get started. Would you open us up with a prayer, John? Right, uh, Lord... As we always come to you, we, we come to you humbly because the fact of the matter is this could just be dry history to us, but but help us by your spirit to say, no, no, you've got all kinds of things for us to learn, things that will both give us guidance, things that will give us comfort, things that will point us ultimately to Jesus Christ. Uh, and so help AJ and I to do that, that whatever else we get done in this chapter, that will leave everybody uh, putting their faith and hope in, in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, to that end, then we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, first, you know, chapter seven, the first part, like I was saying, kind of wraps up what we saw last time. And we did actually talk about it last week a little bit that, yeah, it does eventually wind up in Kiriath Jerim. Um, we talked actually even a little bit um, when we were having our conversation with Pastor Paul uh, from Houston. He was mentioning, you know, Abinadab is a combination of Abihu and, and Nadab. So, there's this kind of like repeating history stuff. And of course, 
history is going to repeat itself again in chapter 8 when things don't go so well with with Samuel's sons. It, it is uh, really interesting how uh, this chapter just, it, it feels like a lot of stuff that comes before, and it's setting us up for the stuff that's going to happen later, right? Well, and, and if I could just make a quick comment, because, again, we were talking about where things go south. But you see, Samuel himself fails to see how he got to be a judge. And he begins to think, oh, okay, it's my responsibility, my job, my task now to appoint the next leaders. And and, and I know we're jumping into the next chapter, but yeah. he appoints his sons. Well, no, Samuel, no, no, that's <laughs> that's not what God wants you to do. You should know better than that. Uh, uh, but there again, and then all of a sudden you start having problems again because you're trying to pick out the leader you want rather than letting God determine who the leader is going to be. And God will determine that finally <laughs> in the end anyways. So save yourself right. some time and trouble. Yeah, that, that's... I think that it's good to to have that in mind, though, uh, to think about where this is going um, in chapter yeah, eight, no, it is. and similarly where, where it's come from. You know that Eli did this with his own sons. Yeah, uh, yep. having that in mind, I think is going to help us read chapter seven better when it talks about Samuel as judge, because I think that when you read it just by itself uh, in chapter seven, it can come across as like, well, and everything that Samuel did was perfect, and yeah. clearly it wasn't. Uh, so, so it'll, it'll help us kind of. Uh, kind of, I think, I think, kind of appreciate what's going on here a little bit more, but well, let's go well, ahead AJ, and start no, by just think, reading the just, chapter. AJ, AJ, if, just because yeah, yeah, you, you just go got you, you just got me thinking. That's that's the perfect comment, sure. and that's going to be the entire pattern, isn't it? We're going to have a man come up, and we're going to say, "This is the perfect man, right?" Oh, Saul. Well, Saul yeah. was flawed. David, David, no, David's not. And, and of course, it's pushing to Jesus. That's that's going to be the final choice of God, and he will be the perfect choice. And and everyone before him will kind of reflect what Jesus should be, but none of them are. So I, I appreciate your point there, A.J., and I think you're right. That underlies this whole story. Yeah, I, th- I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to kind of just trace that out, see if we can kind of just— kind of mentally just kind of draw or, or, or even if you have a piece of paper, <laughs> just literally trying <laughs> to trace, trace out a line here. I, th- I think, I think we'll be able to see something like that, but let's go ahead then. First Samuel chapter seven here in the English standard version. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, There, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. 
And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As, it, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities of the Philistines had that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he also judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. It, it's a, a big, it's a very sweeping chapter, right? I mean, like, it's a, I mean, really what's interesting, it says, you know, he judged Israel all the days of his life. The, the chapter actually just zooms out and just goes ahead and looks at, the, like, the whole summary uh, of Samuel's life and career. Um, so it's even bigger than the initial comments at the beginning about 20 years passing and Kiriagerium. So th this is a, a very large chunk of history condensed into just one chapter. Right, with, with the, the fundamental and the key being just that, that Samuel now is the judge. Uh, and, and again, we, we got to be careful because in our political system, uh, to be a judge is just part of what it is to be a leader, right? You got the judicial system, whereas uh, the word judge here in the Hebrew really has more of the sense to be the, the uh, what, the governor, uh, the ruler. Uh, he's basically yeah. the one in charge of everything. And, and by the way, that's how they did systems back then. We didn't have legislatures. Uh, whatever your, your system was, it, it came down to one man who was the one who was in charge. Right, that's right. It's uh, it's not just judgment in terms of condemnation or a sentence, right? But judgment yes. in terms of like, well, use your best judgment to decide this, <laughs> right? Like, so it's it's yep. the person who's using their judgment to discern um, and to direct. And so, yeah, it it means like the the executive, like you were saying, which that's uh, that's you know, a so good it, it kind of has executive, all the all yeah. the roles that we would yep. think of today. Yep. And it's a time of peace. You know, he's, he's a good judge. He's brought something that the Israelites have not experienced for a long time. Uh, and like you said, the sad thing is he'll turn around and, and he doesn't learn from history either. Like you said, he repeats the same mistake that his predecessor made by appointing his own sons. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I think what's cool, though, as we look at this sweeping picture of Samuel as judge, is you see the things that good leaders should do. Uh, and it's almost like a list is given to us of what Samuel does as a judge and how these are probably things we should look for in our uh, uh, executives as well. Yeah, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to kind of, I mean, and I think the reform, I think, too, is, is very big. And maybe we'll even draw some parallels to different reform movements, uh, you know, uh, well, of course, the Reformation, but then maybe in our own day. 
but yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of interesting, I think, parallels. And then like you were saying, kind of think about, okay, so what, what should we be looking to do ourselves? But uh, without getting, uh, I, don't, I don't want to skip over this. I mean, we did, we talked about a little bit, but let's talk, let's talk a little bit about this in chapter seven, the, the first uh, two verses here. So th- this is the resolution of the story from last week. So, you know, in Beth Shemesh, they, they took the two boxes, right? There was the one box, the Ark of the Covenant. They took the other box, the thing that the Philistines made that, you know, depicted these mice and, and tumors, and they set them up on this big stone, and they were like, hey, check this out. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they turned this into this big uh, spectacle, and God didn't really like his Ark being treated that way. Uh, so, so, so there's a punishment there. And they're like, well, let's get rid of the thing, send it to Kiriath-Jerim, which is not very far from there. Um, and, and, and then so it goes over, they decide uh, to do differently. They decide not to put it on a big stone and make a big spectacle of it. That has been tried and didn't work out very well, so let's try something different. <laughs> and they, uh, they, they give it over to the house of Abinadab, and they consecrate Eliezer to have charge of the Ark of the Lord. So... What, what do you make of this, this uh, very different approach? I mean, particularly how they just, they hand it over to these priests and they, they have like this special priest that's like, okay, this is your baby. This is this is the thing that you do, Eliezer. Well, well so, so it, it, it makes for a nice contrast because the uh, people in Beth Shemesh, which by the way, remember now, they're, they're Israelite people. They do make sacrifices to the Lord uh, when, when the ark arrives at their place. Uh, they're, they're a border town. Uh, probably yep. uh, the town itself, though, was a pagan town because Beth Shemesh, I think, is the house of the sun god. So probably Shemesh was worshipped there earlier. But no, these these are Israelites that have taken this over. Um, mm-hmm. But they respond just like the Philistines, don't they? When, when God disciplines, rather than saying, well, maybe we've sinned and we need to repent, their answer is, well, let's get rid of the thing. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think right. that's that's a striking contrast you have here. We have Israelites acting just like pagans. Well, we don't want God around because <laughs> he's going to cause us trouble. But then you're right. The people in Kiriath-Jerim, they, they, uh, they, they have the proper respect. They know this is supposed to be handled by priests uh, from the house of Aaron. We, we don't really know who uh, uh, Lazar is, uh, but it is a priestly name. Uh, in fact, it's one of the names of Aaron's sons. Uh, right. So no doubt, like you say, this is a Levite, someone who actually should be doing this. Uh, and it basically stays there in this, this rather uh, obscure town until uh, David will finally move it uh, to Jerusalem. So, uh, yeah, uh, but that, that contrast, I think, is was important from the Beth Shemesh people and the people in Kirith-Jerim, because uh, like I said, the Beth Shemesh basically is just, oh, wow, we got the ark. Let's look inside and see what's it, you know, uh, whereas, no, yeah. it's given the respect that they should in this other city. And, and the other thing right. is this other city is probably a little further within the borders, so maybe a little safer from the Philistines, although the Philistines don't want the thing. <laughs> I don't know why. They <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they're, not, they're not coming back for that anytime soon. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, it may be actually good to have it on the border town then. <laughs> oh, that's no, no, true. let's not go there. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but so that that's uh, right. I, I think that that's exactly right, that they, they're like, okay, hang on a second. We, we know, because this is interesting, because there is a lapse, it seems, where— pure worship of the true God has gotten fuzzy, we'll say. Um, you know, memory's gotten fuzzy. But but they do remember enough to say, you know, uh, we should we should take it to some legitimate priests here 
Um, I think that they're, you know, it's the line of like Aaron and then his son, Eliezer. Oh, this guy's named Eliezer. He's, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so they, they, they definitely go and they, they take it. Okay. You're, you guys are legitimately like, you know, Aaronic priests. So like you, you take care of this. Um, and what, what I think is, uh, fast, actually, uh, really quick. One of the questions that came in, like it says, you know, so hang on, who's, who's, uh, what, what is this, uh, Kiriath Jerim? What tribe are they from? Um, I don't know if that if that's something you know off the top of your head. I think, as much as I recall, I, I think all of this is like, uh, I, mean, I mean, it's near the borders of Dan and Benjamin and Judah. I think all this stuff is maybe technically in Judah. I, I, I'm not positive, actually. Do you recall? Uh, see, I don't know for sure. I, I, I know that Beth Shemesh was actually one of the cities that was assigned to uh, the priest. You know, they were given cities. They weren't given right. territory. Uh, right. I'm assuming this being fairly close, maybe it was, but it's not named as such. Uh, the only thing that I found out about Kirith Jerim is that it was originally Kirith Bale, so kind of Baleville. <laughs> People yeah. in my area will understand that. We have a Belleville that's real close. To oh, uh, <laughs> uh, and so I, I did read that speculation that maybe this was already kind of a center of religion as such, and it might have been a natural place, especially since Shiloh, apparently. Shiloh is where it should have gone, but, but Shiloh has been desecrated by the action of uh, Eli's sons. Uh, so we're just really not sure where we need to put it anymore, which I think is part of the lesson here. You, you know, you, 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 like you said, you make the religion fuzzy and, and then everything gets fuzzy. Uh, and where, yeah. whereas God's revelation is actually pretty clear. <laughs> so, yeah, no, no that, that's right. Um, and, and, and the thing is, I think the difference, right, between like how, how clear God has made everything, uh, and how clear it, it I guess, would have been preserved by the priests and the Levites I mean, because it was so sharply contrasting with how fuzzy everything was in the minds of the whole house of Israel, I think yeah. that kind of speaks to then why it has to stay there for 20 years. I mean, that, that's really something. I, when I was just reading that over, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, that, that's that's kind of nuts that, you know, everyone's like lamenting the Ark of the Lord um, earlier, right? It was back in chapter, it was chapter 5, I think, right? Um, yeah. where, where, you know, there's a big loss and, you know, oh, the ark has been lost and everyone's mourning, right? You know, um, you know, Ichabod, right? And so everyone's so upset about the ark being lost. And in chapter six, everyone seems to be so happy. Oh, hey, look, the ark's back, right? But then it's like, we're just going to let it just pass for 20 years in obscurity here in this place at Kiryat Jerim. Like there's no, there's no uh, attempt to say, hey, we should bring this back on to Shiloh. Right, like no, they just let it sit there for twenty years, and and I feel like that. I don't know the way that I would kind of want to take that is it's like Israel wasn't ready to have the ark like back back. I mean, at least now it wasn't like in the hands of the Philistines, you know. So no, nor you know, profaning it, but they weren't really ready to to have this brought back into public worship life and have it back there in Shiloh or or as we're going to see later Jerusalem. Uh, for for twenty years, and I think this is kind of bearing that out because the repentance isn't coming until after that time. Well, well the problem is, is they don't understand what the purpose of the ark is, and, and maybe there are things we can reflect in our own worship uh, today. Uh, because the thing of the ark is a thing of God's grace and mercy. That's why you've got the ark, because you know that you have a Lord who is Hased, right? A Lord of steadfast love, a Lord of compassion, a Lord of, a Lord of mercy. But for them, it had become a superstitious object. And, and we do the same thing. Oh, I went to church. Why isn't my life happy? 
right? <laughs> I went and sat in the pew mm-hmm. for 45 minutes. You think God owes me one, see? Uh, and, right. and obviously that's not what the ark is because you bring the ark back and already thousands of people are being killed of your own people. So I don't know what to do with the ark. Well, let's just leave it there. <laughs> You're right, because they hadn't quite understood. But once David comes in and things get uh, uh, you know, straightened out a little bit, then they can understand again that, no, this ark was meant to be the symbol of God's gracious presence. That's what it is, his gracious presence. And, of course, the sad thing is it'll lose that meaning again. Uh, you know, and, and in the end, that's why everything will be gone, the ark, the temple, the whole works, because people forgot what it was about. It wasn't about our works. It wasn't about us doing things and God owing us. It was about a, a way of knowing that God is with you and a way of love and mercy no matter what which is the same reason well, we have the Lord's Supper and we have baptism and we have the preaching of the Word. It's not about something we do so that God will have to owe us and God will be good to us. No, we, we, have, we have problems, we have trials, we have afflictions. Of course we do, but it is these things that remind us that we still have God with us regardless of what's happening. Right, and well, it's that difference, right, that, that is so distinctive about the faith of Israel and what makes it so different from the worship of the Baals and the Ashtaroths, and that'll be good for us to, to get to when we get back after our break. Everybody, hold on. We're looking at First Samuel chapter 7 on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. Hi, this is Todd Wilkin, inviting you to join us for Issues Etc. weekday afternoons from 3 to 5. Issues Etc. is a live call-in show with a twofold purpose. We defend and teach the truths rediscovered during the Reformation, grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone, and we challenge today's postmodern culture with its unbiblical ideology. Issues Etc. live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. Everybody to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 7 here with our guest, Pastor John Lekomsky from Southern Illinois, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics here on KFUO, 9 o'clock Central on Saturday mornings. 
And we were just talking about, you know, these first few verses about the Ark of the Covenant and how just Israel really had gotten so far along into this polytheism uh, where you kind of just kind of start treating all this stuff like it's magic, um, start treating this stuff in a very polytheistic kind of idolatrous kind of way, literally, you know, using idols. Uh, they just they just weren't ready for it, and uh, this 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 is really a good trans transition here to the work of Samuel. Then, because Samuel comes in, and there is a reformation. <laughs> uh, yeah, the reformation was not just a thing that happened uh, on the cusp of the Enlightenment, right? These reformation moments seem to happen uh, often because we we need them often, huh? Already gotten some questions here coming in over email. Uh, KFUO at kfuo.org. If you have any questions, you want to send it over email. Uh, also, some questions coming in over Facebook, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. If you want to hop on the, the live stream, the video feed there. You can also give us a call, 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. If you have any questions or comments and you're listening live, I also want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word. Their website, lhfmissions.org. So uh, we're going to, we have to really keep moving on here because there's some really good questions that have come in that I think are pretty provocative here. I hadn't thought about some of these, but so, yeah, so there's this, there's this time of, okay, uh, Israel just, you know, need, needs to get back on, get back on track here or kind of, you know, have a course correction anyway, <laughs> start going in the right direction again. Uh, so you have this, this kind of summary, there's this, you know, this big lamentation, it says the whole house of Israel it's like a 20-year period of lamentation and, and repentance. So uh, then verse 3 comes on, and Samuel just speaks and talks about returning to the Lord with all your heart. So now he's directing the repentance. Um, but I, I, I kind of get the impression that it's like this has sort of been what they've been working through for two decades already by the time that Samuel issues this order. Well, I, I think the key thing is, is that it is a call for repentance. That, that's the word you used. And, and I'm looking at this and thinking, well, this is what we need in leaders. Uh, and I think that's a key thing a good leader does. He, he calls his people to see where they have failed and calls them to repent uh, of those things. Um, when I read this, I, I thought of Abraham Lincoln and this beautiful pronouncement that Lincoln makes uh, at the beginning of the Civil War. Uh, and essentially, he calls for a day of humiliation and prayer. Uh, but what's striking about his proclamation is, is he essentially says, you know why we're having a civil war? Because God granted us this wonderful, beautiful country just filled with blessings, and we took it all for granted. And we didn't say thanks, and we didn't praise the Lord for these things. And, and so he calls the nation to to uh, be to humble themselves, to do just what it says here, to repent of, of, of the, the things they've done wrong. Uh, and it's interesting, since Abraham Lincoln, any number of presidents have called for a day of prayer. It's what you do if you're a president. Uh, uh, but but what struck me is I've, I've looked at those proclamations, and none of them had that element of, of humility, none of that, that, that element of repentance. Just, well, you know, we got problems, yeah. so we need to pray to God about it. But I think that's, that's that, and this is, is for us certainly as a church, I, I, this is where the church begins. This is why we begin our services with forgiveness and repentance, right? Because this is where it starts. There's not a one of us that can say, well, I'm so good. No, we all have to yeah. come and say, well, Lord, no, we, we've sinned, we've failed. And, and now we're, we're repenting of that. We're turning to you as, yeah. as the text exhorts us to do. Yeah. 
you know, that, that's really, that's really interesting, John, like to think about how, you know, there's, there's the president, Abraham Lincoln saying, you know why we had a civil war, you know, because, because, you know, God was judging us, right, for, for our yeah. sin. I, I mean, just, I, I feel like today, the person who says that is looked upon as like the crazy person, right? Yes. The, the, it's yes. the person who like goes and has a press conference and says, you know, this is judgment from God. Everyone's like, oh, there's another, you know, like rabble rousing, Bible thumping, yep. crazy guy. Um, but no, that's Abraham Lincoln. The president was saying that. And that's, that's a very, that's really, first of all, it's just kind of striking, just the difference between now and then. But it goes along with what you were saying about humility, right? Because, I mean, we, we were talking about that in First Corinthians, how Paul is just emphasizing again and again, humility, humility, humility. You know, it doesn't matter if you're right. It doesn't matter if you have knowledge. It doesn't matter if you're stronger. Humble yourselves and serve the weaker, right? I mean, that, that, that humility that knows no low too low, in order to serve. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's really in many ways what, what's missing. And uh, like you were saying, it's, it's, it's part and parcel with repentance. It's humbling yourself to say, yeah, we have been wrong and we need to stop trying to do it our way and listen to God's voice. Exactly. And, and, and it is of course how the church is and needs to be and remain and that's why the church goes through reformation over and over again because we forget that as a church but don't you think aj i think also in terms of political things it's the way we ought to be in the kingdom uh, of the left as well Uh, but but of course we won't be uh and that's why we have uh, you know my wife are reflecting why all the riots why are we having so many problems And, and it is because we're not we're not the people we should be, and this is what happens. <laughs> you know, I think, I if you think don't love right your neighbor, you... this is what you get. Well, I'm yeah, sorry. No, that's right. Well, yeah. I, I was going to say, I think, I think you're right that you, you need humility in, in God's left-hand kingdom, in, in, the, uh, in, in the secular realm as well. If you, if you don't have humility, um, you, you fall into this trap of, well, um, if we just devise, devise a, a, a clever enough system, if we just craft a— uh, a detailed enough bill, if we elect, a, you know, just, uh, I don't know, like a, a man of, of real integrity to the, you know, highest offices, right? We, we, we think that we're just going to solve all of our problems. And um, that lack of humility then, I think, is part of the problem that comes back around when we say, oh, hey, this didn't work. Well, it has to be because of you, right? Like, and, and, and we go so quickly to like blaming this other person because it's like we can't imagine that. Oh, maybe our idea wasn't actually so perfect, right? Of course, our idea was perfect. We, our whole <laughs> thing right. is flawless. You know, the flawless platform. It, you messed it up, and you know, if you just so, done it the way we told you. you yeah, know, yes, right. Yeah. It's like you, if, if well, you, my hands were tied. I, you know. So, yeah, we, uh, yeah, you need you need humility in the secular realm as well, and. Um, so, so here this is interesting, though, because they're, they're both intersected, right? There's just no clear distinction between the, the civil realm and the ecclesiastical realm, right? Like, it's just Samuel is just the judge. He's just the guy. Um, he's in charge. He's also uh, the prophet. And so this cult of repentance, it's, it's as much of a, a political uh, decree as, as it is an ecclesiastical one. I think that we kind of maybe skip over that. But to say— you know, put away foreign gods, right? It's interesting you use the word there, foreign gods. I mean, foreign, I mean, this is kind of a little bit of, again, like a political word. I mean, th- those are the gods of other peoples. And you're saying, hey, look, uh, those deals with these foreign countries are are off. I mean, th- this was going to hurt people's wallets. 
actually, I think, to put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the Baals and the Ashtaroth, as it says, and, and what that would have entailed and how that was a big deal? So uh, <laughs> I just learned this in preparation. I did not know this before, but apparently there's some archaeological evidence because uh, you may be wondering, well, how can we have Baals and Asherah? Because we know that the Lord is the only Lord. But apparently from some of the archaeological evidence, Asherah was supposed to be Yahweh's wife, his consort. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's not very against Yahweh. It's just this is his, this is his consort. Uh, right. And so then what do you do with Baal? Well, uh, one tradition is that Baal was, was Asherah's uh, brother. So then I guess Baal is Yahweh's brother-in-law. Uh, the other tradition was that Baal was was her husband, and so then I guess Yahweh and Asherah have kind of got this little thing going on to the side. <laughs> I'm not sure what you do right. with it, but but uh, yeah. that's actually how they dealt with it. it. Yahweh is just another one of the great pantheons of polygamy, as you talked about. Uh, and uh, but of course that's the whole point here. No, no, no. There aren't any other gods. There is no Asherah. There is no Baal. There is no. The Lord is one. That's the fundamental thing. If you're a Jew, that's one of your key teachings. The Lord is one. So, uh, yeah, you know that that's right. I, I think it's um, you're right that there are multiple kinds of ways of putting the picture together because these names are are actually pretty flexible, right? Because on on the one yeah. hand, Baal can refer to a very particular storm god, right? I think like one of the sons of of Ale, or I, I'm not I'm not going to get it right either. Um, so he's he's one of the, the sons, right, of of this uh, the kind of the older generation of gods. He's a storm god and all this. Um, you know, Ash, Ashtra can refer to a particular god. You know, like um, like Ashtarte, like or you know Ishtar, right? Um, but yeah, these terms yeah, can also yeah. be flexible, where it just kind of means like the the gods and the goddesses. And I think that's actually how it's being used here. Where it's just kind of because because Baal also can just mean husband, right? So it's like right, you were saying right. it, it can just mean like the husbands and the consorts, uh, the gods and the goddesses, um, and it's like you were saying, uh, people had devised all kinds of ways of working Yahweh into that system so that he, you know, like you were saying, he was like a brother-in-law to Baal, or he just was Baal. Um, like that was a thing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, because because Baal can also mean Lord. And so it's like, hey, we, we call Yahweh Lord, so Yahweh is is Baal. Is that well, something that they would have well, said? Hey, we do the same thing, right? Allah, oh. uh, 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 Jesus. They're all the same. It's all the same, but just a different name, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, no, that's that's well said. I mean, so that's the thing, right? We think to ourselves, like, well, you know, thank goodness we don't have this problem today. Well, I mean, we just— the, we do this all the time. I mean, without even thinking about it. And it's like, in some ways, it's like we do it more frequently because we just throw stuff out there like all over the internet even more quickly that like we're just kind of constantly making these associations and conflations and all the rest that we're just kind of, we treat God like he's just kind of part of the whole mess and not like he's any different, you know? Like, we're, like It's like what happened in the previous chapter. We're treating, you know, there's the box from the Canaanites and the box of God, and it's like, oh, they're both shiny boxes. You know, so so anytime that we do that, we just lump God in with the rest. I mean, we're really doing the same thing they were doing. And and, and so the key phrase is, and they serve the Lord only. <laughs> All right. That's the key thing. No, there isn't a bunch of gods. And I think you're absolutely right. Because I, 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 the one's masculine and the other's feminine, so we got all the gods and goddesses. But no, no, no. No, now we have the Lord only. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, I think so it's this... interesting when you read the next. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was going to say what's interesting. Is what, what, well, I was going to say what's interesting when you do this, it doesn't end your problems. It begins your problems. Because oh, when right. they all gather, then at mitzvah to pray to the Lord only. Well, this gets everybody in the Philistines up. Well, oh, what's, what are they planning? What are they doing? They're not supposed to do that. We better go attack them. So, yeah. Well, no, no, I think, I think you're, I think you're just right. It's the end of your problems. No, it's the beginning of your problems. But I, the I think problems that's just right. will be solved because the Lord's with you. This is this yep. is not just a like a spiritual inner religious thing. This is a political thing. And so by by putting away you know Philistine gods and Amorite gods, right, and and, and Moabite gods, right, by putting all of them, it's kind of putting everyone else on notice, right, saying, hey, we only worship. Yep the God that just struck you with tumors and, and plagues, right? I mean, so it, may, it makes sense. But the Philistines are like, oh, man. I mean, like, they could have taken this as a declaration of war. So, I mean, th- this is this is a this is a big deal. And I think just because it's state, stated kind of here in summary, like, you know, and that's what they did, I, I think this is—it's kind of depicting this as a big multi-year thing. And a, uh, it, it wasn't just kind of like, oh, they did it. Like, okay, we just tossed them out. I mean, th- this was like a big cultural— I mean, I mean, revolution, really, for them. Um, we have a question on the phone here. Got James here. Uh, hey, good morning, brother. How are you doing? You got a question or a comment for us? Yeah, you know, I, every time we have such a vintage cistern, so full of rivers of flowing waters, I can't resist calling in and getting these basic questions answered so I can get oh, poured yeah. into. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But, so, so I'm going to split them up into two. Okay. And I'd like to ask your question first this time, AJ. Okay. I'd like to know, uh, can holy orders come perfectly through a judge or a pontiff? Judges or pontiffs. Okay. And for you, uh, Pastor Lekonsky, I'd like to uh, know, would the primacy of the office of judge be challenged during the Reformation or in the small called articles? And you mentioned this perfect governmental system. Uh, would a philosopher king be a perfect ruler for the governmental system that you talk about, you know, when you say this is like a perfect rule for the system? All right. Thank you, James. Yeah, those are some good questions. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate your question, too, earlier about um, Kiriath Jerim over, over email. That was, that was a good one. Um so, so yeah, kind of taking that first question that you had, you know, can can perfect holy orders uh, come from a judge or a pontiff? Uh, I'll say by clarification, holy orders, uh, at least is the, I'm kind of more familiar with the term, usually refers to, like, uh, orders within the church. So, like, you might have, like, the order of, um, you know, Augustine, right? Or, like, you know, the order of uh, St. Benedict or something like that. Um, but... Uh, I, I think I'm I'm picking up that you're kind of like getting at can can you actually have you know directives like pure directives uh, from God come from judges or you know popes right or or you know these leaders in the church uh, can they really just speak for God like that and uh, yeah that's a good question uh, I mean certainly here it seems like Samuel is yeah speaking for God. Um, and we're going to see that in the next chapter as, as well, um, you know, where, where, where God is, like, he's just talking to him. And we saw that with, with Moses, right? So it, it seems like, yeah, I mean, if God wants to, like, you know, talk through uh, a leader in the church and even give that church leader 
directions for how we should live, you, you, you know, we would say, you know, in a political or secular way, right? I mean, that's not a distinction that's necessarily in the scriptures, but I mean, uh, yeah, God can do that. But, but you see again and again, right, even when these chosen mouthpieces are at their best, they mess up. And Samuel's going to mess up here, too. And so, uh, with his sons in particular. So, I mean, that, that's just the thing. So, I, I don't know if it's like, uh, it, it's, I feel like it's a little bit hard to say, well, see, when, when he said that, that was perfect. But this over here, well, that was the mistake. And those are two cleanly different things. Like, well, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's all interconnected. So, it's like, I think there's a tension where it's like, yeah, they can speak for God. God can speak through different leaders in the church. But, I mean, it's, it's never going to be perfect um, unless it's Christ himself. So, so uh, and, and to answer the, the question asked me, James, about uh, would a philosopher king, would that be the, the perfect system? And, and I'm really glad you asked that question because it helps clarify what I was saying, that there is no perfect system. A monarchy, a philosopher king, uh, a, a political elections, republic, uh, democracy, you, you name it. Uh, what makes Samuel the perfect ruler is because Samuel at this point at least understands I'm only here because God put me here. <laughs> okay. I'm not right. here because I'm so wise or I deserve it. I'm here because God is the one who has put me in this position. And therefore everything I do, I need to be constantly turning to the Lord, looking at his word, because I'm going to make bad decisions if I think it's coming from me. Um, uh, some allusions there, James, made, of course, to what happened with Luther and the Pope. And the problem, of course, in the days of the Reformation is the Pope didn't think that way. The Pope said, I am the absolute authority. Whatever I say is what God wants. What's ironic is King Henry VIII did the exact same thing. He said, well, let's see now. Uh, the Bible clearly teaches that I am the one who's king because God has made me king. Therefore, everything I want must be what God wants. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. the problem. Uh, Samuel is the perfect ruler because Samuel understands, no, I'm not here because what I want is what God wants. In fact, I have no idea really why I'm here. God chose me. He's put me in this position. And therefore, I need to be constantly evaluated. Let me give you a quote from Reagan. It's, it's my data quote, Presidents. Reagan said, I thought this was a great <laughs> quote. Reagan said, it's a dangerous thing to think that God is on your side. Yeah. But it's a good thing to be asking, are we on God's side? And I thought, yeah, that's that's the attitude of a really, really good leader. Um, and, and so that's what I was alluding to, James. I don't know that there is a perfect system. No, there isn't, because we're all sinners. But, but the leader that will be best is the leader who understands, I have no authority except what God has given me, and therefore my chief concern always is this, what is pleasing to God, not whether it's pleasing to me. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, no, I, I think that's, and I, and I love that quote, um, I, I've been. I think, yeah, I think you used it. I, I think. I think. I think you. I think I got it from you. Probably like you know, like oh, you, you probably did. I used it and, and, back when we were having. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I've, just, I've just been kind of just repeating it ever since. But yeah, I, I think. I think that's well said. That you know, not not even. It's not as if you know that this this system is is perfect either because it's going to fall apart like oh. in a generation right i mean we're going to go from it, yeah. it's great with yeah. samuel and it's terrible under his sons so i mean so it's not like the, the system is is perfect but as you were saying you know samuel in, in this moment in, in this in this aspect is the the perfect in the sense of like the complete ruler right because but he, because he's humble right i mean and, and that's and that's really the big yeah. thing like the, the humble servant of god 
who acknowledges that ultimately it's God who's in control and not the man who's just kind of representing him, right? That's complete good leadership, right? In the sense of perfect, not, not perfect as in suddenly it's like, no, there's this one no, not as the man chunk of him yeah, that's yeah. like sinless or something, right? Cause it's just the, the sinful nature is always there, you know, um, even for Samuel or whoever else, um, kind of like fast forwarding a little bit here. So you, so you have this, this big decree that Samuel issues and a big kind of, again, like this very sweeping summaries here, right? So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Astros, right? And serve the, the Lord only. So, I mean, these are big moves. This would have taken time. Um, and, and then they have this big convention. That's really what it is. Uh, this big convention at Mizpah. Um, and, and this thing is going on for, you know, some, some amount of time. There is a, there is a fast uh, when, they, when they get there. Um, but the thing is, like, they're there, like, long enough, right, for the Philistines to, to hear about it and for this to be uh, a conflict that develops. And what's, what's striking is that, you know, after all the defeat <laughs> that we've been reading about for, for chapters here, uh, you know, God actually, he, he comes through and he shows up for Israel this time. So th- this is a really big deal. And, and you can see why uh, it's so important that God do this because he's, he's showing, hey, yeah, keep listening to Samuel. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah, like when you reward yeah. your, your, your reward your child and you say, "Hey, good job." You know, here's a here's a Jolly Rancher, right? I mean, you know, like God is like doing this because he's like, "Hey, see, like this is keep listening to this guy." <laughs> and, and and of course, the key thing is that what is what do they what do they exhort Samuel to do? What does Samuel do? He prays. He prays to the Lord. See, that's the direct yeah. result of humility. When you think you're the guy in charge, then it's like you said before, AJ, you're going to say, what's my solution? What, what's my plan? Here? What am I going to do? And then, of course, if the plan doesn't work, then it's somebody else's fault. But, but when you start with humility, well, I think we better go to the Lord. We better turn to Him. We better look upon Him and rely on Him. And not to say that there aren't things we do then, but, but no, it's that whole, it's the faith thing, isn't it, AJ? It's faith. Faith is what moves us to repent. Faith is what moves us to pray, to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines, as it says in the text. And then, of course, you got the sacrifice with the nursing lamb and the whole bird offering. Of course, as Christians, we're thinking, ah, that's what we need. We need a sacrifice. That's the thing that's going to change things around. And, of course, the ultimate sacrifice isn't provided by us or any of our leaders but what's provided by the king himself, the, the judge of all people, and that is God when he sacrificed yeah. his son Jesus. Um, Th- those, yeah. are a lot of, those are a lot of uh, striking contrasts. Like you said, like, you know, they, they ask for intercession, you know, pray for us, right? Yeah. There is them humbling yeah. themselves. Uh, the, the, the whole burnt offering, like you said, right? Um, an- another thing, too, I think it's really interesting in verse 12, you know, he takes a stone— and sets it up between uh, oh, Mizpah yeah. and, and Shen and calls it Ebenezer. So we, we had Ebenezer mentioned a couple chapters earlier where they just lost, you know, terribly with the Ark of the Covenant, yeah. uh, which is, I, I think, maybe, you know, it's interesting how the Ark of the Covenant, like, is not really mentioned in the rest of this chapter after, like, being emphasized so much. And and I feel like that that, that might be, like, a subtle way of saying— they were emphasizing the Ark of the Covenant, but for all the wrong reasons, you know. And and so now, yeah. like we're not we're not going to talk about it, um, you know, not because we don't care about it, but because we're not making a spectacle of it. We're not trying to peek inside of it. Like we're we're not like fascinated with it in this kind of unhealthy way. And this is such a contrast. The great stone in Beth Shemesh, 
that they set up the Ark of the Covenant on and made this big display. And then Samuel taking a stone and setting it up between Mizpah and Shen and calling it Ebenezer, right? I mean, this is like the, the humble stone that is, is pleasing to God as opposed to the other one that was just like, we have a big head and look how awesome we are. Yeah, and, and, and Ebenezer, till now the Lord has helped us. So there's the key thing. So it's not that we've got this special ark, but no, it's that we have the Lord. That's He's the one who helps us. Uh, and the Philistines were subdued and did not enter again the territory of Israel. Uh, and, and, you know, what you said earlier, I think, is a good point. This really is a religious battle for the Israelites and for the Philistines. And I think that's when they hear the thunder, the Philistines realize, kind of like the Egyptians did in the middle of the Red Sea, oh, the Lord is fighting for them. We better get out of here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, no, they got, they were getting the message, right? Like in the same way they got the message yeah. earlier. Last thing here in, in the chapter. So he, it says like, he, he has this summary picture. You know, he, he judges Israel all the days of his yeah. life. And, and chapter eight, we're going to have a, like a, uh, step back and look at you know something during his life you know while while he's uh, towards the end of his life, uh, but in this big summary it describes you know he he judged Israel you know as this leader like we were saying and he goes on this circuit. Um, what, what do you what do you make of that? Like he's he's, he's like you know every every year Bethel Gilgal Mizpah and, and Rama it's like you know he, so he has an annual tour right so like what's what's the what's going on with that? Well, I, I just think it, that's what it is. He he now has to travel from place to place because he is the he's the judge of Israel. He's the one whom God has given to rule over these people at this time. Uh, to me, AJ, the, the the sad thing is that he built there an altar to the Lord and reminded that things aren't the way they should be because you really shouldn't have to build an altar to the Lord someplace else. But I guess that's, at this point you do. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a good thing to chew on and think about maybe for next time a little bit. Yeah. Thank you, yeah, brother. Lead into I always... the mistakes. Yeah. Hey, Jim. Yeah. Bless yeah, you. Yeah. yeah, God bless. Everybody, Pastor John Lekumski from Southern Illinois. Moving on to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.